Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is Kurt Flewelling. Lots to talk about today. I, I will um, try to get to other things other than the COVID-19 situation, but it does seem to be dominating the uh, the news cycle, so we have to uh, report on it. But um, we will, in today's show, go over the COVID-19 numbers the uh, various political um, machinations that are going on. Um, as we've chronicled on the show several times, um, the power grabs that are going on. There's an article here um, about uh, draconian measures that are being implemented in certain areas. Um, interesting article I saw we'll get to about Americans uh, are woeful savers, it seems to be, as uh, many of them were caught rather flat-footed uh, from a financial standpoint uh, as far as this crisis is concerned. And, um, you know, that there's nothing like a, a crisis of, of whatever proportion to really expose a lot of things in our lives. And sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. If we learn from it, it's good. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, we will get to that article. And um, also toward the end of the program, we will discuss um, where is the church in all of this, and, and probably more specifically, where is Jesus Christ in all of this? Um, very appropriate um, as we are meandering through Holy Week, um, if you are a Christian, and um, uh, going through all of these crazy times. And uh, I, I kind of, you know, I tell my family, I tell my friends, Every Christmas, every Easter, we are so preoccupied, uh, particularly Christmas time, with all the shopping and the craziness and the family and the ham and the you know presents and all the nonsense that I just get this mental image of Jesus just kind of sitting up in heaven and just saying, "Hey guys, what about me? Um, love to be a part of this." You know, obviously the. Uh, the holiday is named after my birth here, and Easter the same way. Um, Easter egg hunts and ham and turkey and Aunt Bethy, Betty and all that stuff. But um, sometimes in our busy, busy lives, I think Jesus gets just, you know, put on the back burner. And now, do we need him any more than we've ever needed him? Uh, I think that's a resounding yes. And during Holy Week, I see a lot of people um, fretting, toiling, spinning. And, uh, you know, I, my heart just goes out to people that don't even know Jesus Christ and how he can help them in these times and any times. And I, I just feel that this is, again, in a lot of people's lives, another holiday, sacred holiday where Jesus is just kind of, hey, guys, let me in here. And so we will try to... Uh, analyze what's going on there. Where is the church in all of this? It's rather challenging for people to uh, congregate, as we had a story last week about a pastor down in Florida that got spanked by the local municipalities because he was um, violating local ordinances and gathering uh, a little too closely. But we will discuss that as well. So here on Reshaping America, we will start with... Um, the numbers, and uh, they're almost, you know, one day to the next, it just changes dramatically. Um, 
in this country, if, if my numbers are correctly, 455,000 people have been um, uh, afflicted with the COVID-19 virus. 24,000 roughly have died from this. And, um, you know, you go back and forth. Um, the numbers are the numbers. However, um, this article I, I see here, it says, uh, Dr. Fauci touts positive effect of social distancing and says the death toll could be more like 60,000. Um, this particular article um, says that uh, Fauci and the White House Coronavirus Task Force had previously predicted upwards of a quarter million people might die in the pandemic, but he told um, the Today Show that the death toll might look more like 60,000. And I have heard uh, from a lot of people that, you know, that was almost purposeful to kind of scare people and, and sell them on this social distancing thing. That may or may not true be true, but, but I do know in any crisis situation, oftentimes the dire predictions are scaled back uh, big time as, uh, as we learn more things and, and, Learning about this on the fly uh, daily as it, as it just ebbs and flows is one thing, but to purposefully um, distort numbers for political advantage or power advantage or financial gain, um, money going from Washington to the various states is just reprehensible. And, and again, we have stories this week of politicians that are cashing in on the COVID-19 crisis to amass more power. And it's just, um, it's really sad. It really is. So uh, this article says, Dr. Anthony Fauci said the number of projected coronavirus deaths might be lower than previously projected. Uh, thank you to social distancing. The director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases appeared Thursday on NBC and said, while this week has been brutal in terms of deaths, there are glimmers of hope as places such as New York start to see less growth in new cases and more stability. Um, Fauci goes on to say, I think the American public have done a really terrific job by just buckling down and doing those physical separation and adhering to those guidelines, he continued. But having said that, we better be careful that we don't say, okay, we're doing so well and we can pull back. Um, article says, despite the guarded optimism, both Fauci and Dr. Deborah uh, Burks, the response coordinator for the task force, have cautioned about a second wave of infections if people begin leaving their homes or stopping um, the social distancing too soon. Um, well, uh, you know, I, uh, I think that's a good thing. I, I'm glad that the predictions of the numbers are going down. But as we are talking about numbers, um, so an interesting article. I did not see this, but uh, Bill O'Reilly of uh, Fox News fame was on uh, Sean Hannity's show. And this article says many people dying from the coronavirus were on their last legs anyway. And that was kind of an inflammatory uh, title uh, of this article. I don't, um, I don't think Mr. O'Reilly... Um, meant to uh, dismiss, be dismissive when he said that. But um, 
It says former Fox News host Bill Riley claimed a large portion of coronavirus victims were on their last legs anyway. During the Sean Hannity show, it was a radio show, um, the pair discussed the impacts the coronavirus may have on public health. And O'Reilly pointed out that most people who had died from COVID-19 were of a high risk age or had compromised immune systems or underlying health conditions. I want life to be back to normal. Can you fix that in a simple way? Hannity mused. And um, O'Reilly says, oh man, I wish I could, but we're making little steps. O'Reilly said, he said the projections have uh, have gone down to 60,000, which is a good thing. Uh, O'Reilly contends that that is going to be high. I do as well. And it also says, um, uh, well, at the time of this, 13,000 were dead. Uh, I think that's up to uh, a little bit more than that now. But um, uh, Hannity interrupts him on the conversation and says, fuck, um, you are going to get it. Um, Hold on. You're going to get hammered for that by saying people dying from the coronavirus were on their last legs. Anyway, um, so again, um, I don't think Mr. O'Reilly was being dismissive, but it, it does bring up the question, and I um, I saw this the other day, that the Deborah Burks, who they um, chronicled in the last article, um, said something very interesting um, about a few days ago, and it was most countries that report the numbers the COVID-19 death numbers, um, do it in a manner that is pretty straightforward and easy to understand, even though, even if you are not a medical person. Um, And it says on their death certificates due to um, or because of COVID-19. And that's a very interesting um, that's a very interesting choice of words because some people have taken issue in the United States and have said that a lot of people um, are being counted in the COVID-19 death numbers that were um, actually in the category of related to or um, some type of another cause uh, other than the virus. And and by that, I mean, and and Mr. O'Reilly points it out in kind of a crass way, but um, people that are, have comorbidities or some degree of uh, compromise in one system or another, if COVID-19 was not on the scene, eventually, and probably sooner rather than later, that person would have died. And his can his contention, even though, as I said, a little bit crass in the way he said it, was that COVID-19 simply pushed them over the edge, if you will. And and that, that's a gross oversimplification of the issue. But it, it does beg the question, Are in, in order for political advantage or funding or any of these secondary um, hustles that are going on related to COVID-19, in order to perpetuate um, some of these money grabs and power grabs, are people in the United States purposely putting people in the COVID-19 death category that uh, essentially um, were very, very compromised with a multitude of things 
before they even got COVID-19. And then COVID-19 comes and then conveniently they are um, deemed to be, uh, uh, have, have died because of COVID-19 virus. I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's, it's very uh, interesting to compare and contrast how those deaths are reported in other countries. It's, it's not quite as uh, uh, fuzzy or gray, if you will. And, um, you know, as much as it's, some may think it's tawdry, I think you really do have to talk about um, how people are using numbers like this to scare people, uh, induce panic. And, uh, you know, it, it's probably the fourth or fifth show in a row where we're invoking the name of Rahm Emanuel. But Rahm Emanuel never let a good crisis go to waste. And um, there's a lot of things going on that are just blurring the issue and offending a lot of people. And, um, and it's just not good. It's not People are scared enough of this thing. And it's not good to um, put out numbers that are not accurate. And, and many contend that the, the, the numbers coming in from China are not even remotely accurate. Um, their, you know, disingenuous way of, of dealing with this was at the epicenter of this crisis anyway several months ago. So um, we shall see. Um, this next article I have is kind of like that. It says um, Senate Democrats block urgent small business package and demand a bill with larger scope and cost. Democrats blocked an urgent small business relief package Thursday after Republicans ignored their demand to double the funding and increase the scope of legislation. Now, if we want to be nice and say everybody cares about COVID-19 patients and their families, doubling the funding, eh, people could, you know, debate that. But and increase the scope of legislation. That's the money line in that sentence. And um, the next article after this is uh, Attorney General William Barr has a few things to say about um, draconian lockdown measures, but that's where the real power grab is. Um, pork laden bills and, and money flying out of Washington, going back to uh, various municipalities and states is, is nothing new. Unfortunately, it's always gonna go on. And um, the funding thing, one man's pork is another man's um, vital uh, need of, of funds. Uh, so what somebody thinks is frivolous, another person thinks is very important and vice versa. But the second part of that is very troubling to me, uh, increase the scope of legislation. And that is the, um, that is the money game uh, for a lot of uh, politicians, uh, they are reelected in large part, uh, hinging on how much pork they bring back to their um, constituents. And if they can bring back a lot of pork, and if they can say, I've done something, i.e. sponsored a bill or voted for a certain bill or passed some type of legislation, it, it gives the impression that they're not just an empty suit collecting a couple hundred grand a year 
and um, going to some meetings and, and having fun down there in Washington. So bringing back the pork and touting that I have, uh, you know, forwarded this form of legislation or that form of legislation is oftentimes something that politicians will utilize to get reelected. And I don't necessarily think it's a good thing. I said this on the air years ago. Um, I would vote for a politician all day long that came back to, uh, you know, back home to their uh, constituents and said, hey, I, um, I didn't raise taxes. I didn't uh, forward any laws whatsoever. Um, in fact, I repealed a number of them. Please give me your vote. I, I would vote for somebody like that all day long. So rearranging the deck chairs, if you will, uh, which is what some politicians do under the guise of I'm actually doing something in Washington is not necessarily all that good. Um, the article goes on to say Majority Leader Mitch McConnell responding to a request from Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin hoped to pass a bill quickly to replenish a small business aid program and an infusion of $250 billion in federal funding. But Democrats blocked the Kentucky Republicans' unanimous consent request to pass the measure out of the Senate and proposed their own $500 million measure. The Democratic leadership has suggested that they may hold Americans' paychecks hostage unless we pass another sweeping bill that spends a half a trillion dollars doubling down on a number of parts of the CARES Act, including parts that haven't even started to work yet. The country cannot afford more wrangling or political maneuvering. There is zero chance the sprawling proposal Democrats have gestured toward uh, could pass either chamber um, by unanimous consent this week. No chance, um, Senator McConnell says. So, you know, Senator McConnell has um, has kind of uh, been tough when he needed to be in, in recent months. And um, I think that's good. You know, it, it, it's got to be difficult when when the opponent, your opponents are constantly saying you don't care about old people, you don't care about young people, you don't care about people in general. Um, it's got to be very difficult to be demonized on a daily basis. But uh, we need politicians um, here in this Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in Harrisburg or wherever your state capital is or Washington particularly that are willing to fight for um, their constituents and enact prudent uses of their tax dollars, if you will. And, um, you know, a half a trillion here, two trillion there, what the heck, it's all, you know, money is, is just in, insane. It's really insane not to go over all of these things uh, with a fine-tooth comb, which many politicians have suggested, but in times of panic, in times of craziness, um, it's very easy for politicians to talk to you in 30-second sound bites and say that I am for COVID-19 relief. I am Joe Blow, politician. I'm going to bring back tons of funding for the area, and I'm going to make sweeping laws that will restrict your movement or your ability to make money or your ability to own a business or we have an article um, 
later on in the program about um, one of our favorite politicians who wants to um, is calling for a moratorium on rent. That works out real well if you're a landlord. Um, these crazy things are being forwarded and people are not taking them as seriously as they should. So um, these are crazy times and, and kudos to the politicians that are courageous enough to um, make a stand, if you will. So th this next article is very similar um, in what it says. Uh, it says, Barr, U.S. needs to be careful. Draconian coronavirus lockdown measures do not infringe on civil rights. Um, and I think from my vantage point, you know, are these measures designed to crumble our economy and our way of life when the smoke clears? Sadly, I, I think in the minds and hearts of many leftists in this country, I really think that they are designed to do just that. Um, any A good leftist is always looking for a way to demonize uh, earners and producers in this country and to legislate uh, as, as much as they can and, and amass more central power and wherever that happens to be, Harrisburg in the case of the Commonwealth here or uh, Washington. And I think the coronavirus uh, situation and all these uh, bills in order to uh, get relief to this group or that group, I think that is perfect cover for a, um, sadly, a growing number of uh, constituents and politicians um, that do not like our way of life. They do not like liberty. They do not like freedom. They do not like it when our economy is going well. They do not like American exceptionalism. They do not like uh, unbridled capitalism. Uh, they do not like freedom. And when they have an opportunity to chip away at that, they will take every opportunity to do that. And I think there's a lot of um, a lot of people doing that, a lot of people trying to do that. And I think the word draconian here used by Attorney General William Barr is very apt. And so the article says um, William Barr um, said the United States would be wise to make sure measures taken to stem the spread of the coronavirus do not unnecessarily infringe on the civil rights of U.S. citizens. I think you know when this when this period of time at the end of April expires, I think we have to allow people to adapt more than we have and not just tell people to go home and hide under the bed. These are pretty bold words from a, an attorney general who is um, every bit of political figure, even though they're not elected, they're appointed. Um, that's, that, those are some pretty blunt words. Um, but allow them to use their ways, social distancing, and other means to protect themselves, Barr said Wednesday. I think we had to be very careful to make sure that the draconian measures that are being adopted are fully justified and there are not alternative ways of protecting people. And we had forwarded uh, on the show, it certainly wasn't a, my plan or my idea, it was just something that I've read and it has been, um, you know, echoed by many um, uh, 
when this April 30th date clears, that something be implemented. And we, you know, we have something called states' rights here. So some states are, are going to be much more um, able to do this than others. The virus has, um, has affected some states disproportionately in comparison to others. And the, the logical uh, reason for that is uh, the density of, of population centers in those states, among other things. But, um, you know, those notions forwarded by people that understand that you cannot just sink this economy and expect uh, it to ever recover. Um, if, if you continue to just tell people to stay home, do not interact with others, and we'll tell you when it's okay to get out. <laughs> that's just um, that's just not the American way. So Americans are are being respectful of what their leaders are telling them. Um, they basically have to be. Governors have quite a bit of power in these states, but the um, the notion of having senior citizens, particularly those of which are um, immunocompromised, have various comorbidities that would put them at a higher risk of, um, of some serious uh, health complications and uh, perhaps even death if they got the virus. To continue to segregate them from um, the public, if you will, um, and to continue identifying folks of all ages that have those various uh, comorbidities, um, heart uh, disease, uh, diabetes, um, particularly pulmonary disorders, um, those individuals should be very, very, very careful with this virus. Uh, anybody uh, would seed that. Um, and other, you know, but, but after those two categories of, or, or that one category of person, you have another category of people that regardless of age or regardless of comorbidity can certainly, if they are working, there's a fair amount of people that can indeed work from home in this day and age of technology. Um, many people are working from home and many people are realizing that, hey, why did I ever go into the office in the first place? And a lot of employers are probably realizing, you know, we can, we can, work more efficiently from home. We can attract uh, better, brighter individuals if we uh, tout the fact that you can work from home. There's, good, there's a lot of things being learned from this work from home thing. So those individuals that can do that um, and put forth some degree of production for their employer should certainly continue to do that. But the, the, the most controversial and the third category of folks and we are really fast coming to having to, in my opinion, um, allow this to happen with small and medium-sized and even large businesses, is to let able-bodied, young, healthy people that are not engaging in reckless um, you know, uh, behavior and, and still being respectful of the social distancing thing, um, we need to get them back to the workforce and we need to get them back on production lines. And that has to happen as soon as it can possibly happen. And that's harder to happen um, when you have politicians grandstanding and um, just uh, fake pseudo clinicians and pseudo scientists and pseudo doctors. And there, there is a bunch of them out there 
that are on you know various radio shows and, and various uh, talk circuits and television um, networks that are forwarding, hey, we got to continue to shut this thing down, shut it all down, shut it down as far as the eye can see. And again, um, a lot of that rhetoric is not steeped in uh, any clinical acumen um, that is uh, on the part of those individuals. Much of it is steeped in um, in panic and fear, in agendas, and um, that world is fast colliding with a world in which um, you know many people in this country uh, reside. Uh, we like to work. We like to work hard. We like to uh, amass wealth. We like to be free, and um, those worlds are colliding. and And we better have a really good way of handling that collision because it's going to come um, and it's going to come fast. So that 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 uh, philosophy of having like three categories of Americans. Um, the first two that are, are certainly um, continuing to be segregated, but the third kind of uh, starting to fly out of the nest a little bit, if you will, is something that I believe kind of has to happen, and I believe it will happen um, soon enough. So um, Mr. Barr concludes here um, that he is very concerned about the slippery slope in terms of continuing encroachments on personal liberty. Um, during the emergency. Appropriate, reasonable steps are fine, but he is very wary of those that are, um, quote-unquote, seeking uh, seeking the ultimate power grab. So um, that's what we have. Uh, let me pivot here and um, turn to something that I, I found to be very interesting, yet um, yet not surprising. This is an article that says, broke, 60% can afford up to three months on savings. Four in 10 would sell their blood. <laughs> I um, rather provocative uh, title to this article, making me want to read it, but um, it doesn't surprise me. And I, um, I, I, I've heard statistics in the past during times of calm, no no pandemics, no market crashes. And I don't have the actual figures at the top of my head, but at the time, I was pretty stunned to hear um, a, a news story about how much, or I guess I should say how little, the average American has saved, um, has in the bank um, as they uh, approach retirement or um, you know, as they as they approach winding down to retirement, and the um, the fact that people are literally living hand to mouth, that are not uh, poor, that are not uneducated, that are not um, you know less than ambitious, just you know pretty able bodied people that are, you know, um, they're with the program. They they've gotten the memo that we probably should have some savings, particularly in times like these. And for one reason or another, they just choose to, um, you know, live hand to mouth and just have uh, a meager, if any amount of savings uh, socked away. And when you're in, and that's dangerous during normal times. But when you're in a situation 
where every single week more and more people are filing for unemployment insurance and the numbers are, are just staggering um, these days as, as far as how many millions and millions and millions of Americans. I mean, if, if you're ordered not to go to work and your employer, you, you cannot work from home if you live or if you work on an assembly line, um, they can't take the assembly line to you. So there's a number of Americans that they, they simply cannot work and they're filing for unemployment insurance, which is all well and good. That, that's going to give them some money, but it would be nice to have some savings in the bank. And this article goes on to say a very large percentage of Americans don't have much money at all socked away. Um, the article says the financial crisis is ravaging the nation as the coronavirus spreads, um, it's growing uh, and it is dire for many people, tapping out their limited savings while waiting for stimulus checks from the IRS. A new survey of a 1,000 people found that most have enough savings to last just three months. I'm surprised they even have that. And of, the, of that, 60%, 12% said they would last less than a week. Um, I think that's more than 12%, but even 12% is very disturbing. As a result, said the survey provided by Secrets by Career Advice, it's a, uh, it's a website that um, gives career advice. Many idled by the crisis are worried that they will be um, or already looking to expenses to cut and things to sell. Now, let me stop right there. Um, that may seem terrible that you know people have not saved to the point where now when it's really uh, the crisis is really coming to roost financially that they have to um, cut expenses and sell things but particularly the former um they're cutting expenses i know personally in my life in the lives of many of my family and friends this has really been quite the eye-opener as to what we really need and what we um, what we do not need in um, in the world here, uh, as far as uh, things at home, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into my personal life or my specifics, but um, when I had to sit down and sharpen the pencil and say, what can I really cut, and and how can I trim the fat here, I was pretty amazed. At, at some of the things that um, I was just kind of letting go on month after month after month with not a lot of attention being paid to it. So cutting it, cutting expenses, um, and if, if a crisis has to happen in order to do that, I think that's great. I think we should all pay attention. You know, I'm no, I am not anal retentive as far as, um, you know, my home is concerned and, uh, and managing every receipt that's flying around. Uh, I'm certainly not reckless, but I'm not as tight as other people are. But this crisis has made me tighten up my game considerably. So I think when I read that, I don't think that's necessarily horrible that people are cutting expenses left, right, and crazy, because it really does start to reveal where your, and dare I say this, where your idols may be. And, um, I know it's a different world than it was, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago as far as uh, 
how we pay for things and how much plastic is used and how much uh, credit has been extended to all of us. But way back in the day, when your checkbook was basically the money you had if you didn't invest in the stock market, and and um, I think I'm going back farther than 20 years, and um, and you, you didn't you didn't rack up the credit card debt that many of us have, and you didn't have three or four credit cards. Your checkbook was pretty much who you were financially, and there was an old saying as far as um, and I, I've heard it in pulpits um, across the nation, and it's usually when pastors are um, looking for donations. Uh, they're they're preaching about Deuteronomy and um, um, uh, all sorts of um, verses in the Bible. Or, uh, did I say Deuteronomy? I'm sorry, Malachi three ten, which uh, talks about tithing. And um, you know, in, in the pulpits, they're saying, "Look at your checkbook." And I'll tell you where your your priorities lie. Or, as I used the uh, the dreaded I word a little while ago, idolatry. Where your idols are, and it is fascinating. And if you if you do take an inventory these days, it, it's not just your checkbook. It's it's your um, your portfolio, or it is um, your uh, credit card statement. It is interesting during these times to look what we are all um, or what we have been spending money on up until this point in time and many of us have uh, have had diminished um, capacity in, in making money and, and unfortunately a, a whole lot of other people their income uh, ability uh, their ability to generate income has has ceased and it is stopped on a dime so it, it really does force all of us to look at these things and it, it is very interesting, you know, people are saying, what are, you, what are you taking somebody's inventory for? But only, and, and, and that would be correct, you and God are the only two people that, that know what's an idol in your life and what is becoming um, in between you and God. But if, if you look at your credit card statement, you look at your bank account, and you see things in there that are really huge financial incursions on your family. and they could be things that you could perhaps live without. And again, that's not my decision. That's between you and God. Um, if they are indeed uh, putting you, your family at financial risk, particularly in a time like this, um, and it, if it is indeed something that is um, getting in between you and God, then that is really the quintessential definition of an idol. So, as the article says here, if people are looking to exp for expenses to cut and things to sell, if you're looking for things to sell, again, they might have been things that um, you thought you couldn't live without. And in the past couple of years, they have dust on them. I have certainly a number of things around the house that um, if I was ambitious, I would shine up and, and uh and have a, a yard sale or, or sell on eBay or whatever, um, things that I thought were rather important at the time and certainly are not that important now. But um, So many of these things that, that may seem really tragic, um, this guy over here lost his job, he's selling his wife's jewelry, he's looking to cut expenses. Yes, of course they're tragic. We're not insensitive people here. But the silver lining is if this, if we can all come out of this leaner and meaner and be a little bit more discerning with the with the money that we're throwing around i think that's a good thing
It says, among the top expenses that would be cut are streaming services and gym memberships. Um, interesting. The, um, among the top items people would sell are jewelry and electronics. And some 36% would sell their blood. Um, that's kind of creepy. Um, <laughs> makes me, uh, you know, um, bare my soul a little bit here. When I was a young man several decades ago, and, uh, you know, starving college student, I, uh, I gave blood every 56 days. And um, I would be lying to you if it was because if, if I said it's because I was just such an altruistic guy, and I was so much better than everybody else. And I, I care deeply about people that needed blood. Um, of course, I do care about people that need blood. But when I was a young man, I did it for the Entenmann's. And if you're not from the Northeast, you don't know what Entenmann's is. And we have listeners all over the country. So Entenmann's is a just a wonderful, tasty bakery, um, you know, that's franchised out uh, into several states in the Northeast. And uh, they make everything from eclairs to uh, raspberry Danish and everything in between. And it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And as a poor college student that really you know, was just living off uh, generic tuna and macaroni and cheese, um, I would give blood quite consistently. And and one of the highlights of the blood-giving experience was indeed <laughs> sitting in the canteen a little bit woozy afterwards and just absolutely wolfing down day-old entomins that were donated to uh, the Red Cross. This is a big admission, isn't it? But um, that's what I did. So I, I can relate to giving blood. Now, the people here in this article – they're not giving blood for enemas or donuts or orange juice. Um, you can get blood. Um, you can charge, or you know, people will purchase. I should say your blood for anywhere from thirty or forty dollars uh, a pint. And um, you know, if, if again, if um, if you're giving blood as a source of income, I would um, I would caution you because we we need that stuff to exist. So. Um, Anyway, uh, they would sell their blood. Some 7% would sell personal nude photos. Now, I, I know this. Uh, we talk about the issues of the day from a Christian perspective. Um, I don't want to get all serious, but that is um, – that is if, if that statistic is accurate, that is pretty sad that 7% of people that are – that have been adversely affected um, economically by this COVID-19 crisis would actually sell nude photos. Um, it says about two thirds would turn to a side hustle job. Now that, you know, that makes a little bit more sense, a little less troubling. Uh, with so many people living above their means, a financial emergency could put them in a crisis. Selling off personal items might not be, um, the most people's first choice for getting through an unexpected break in income, but it could be a temporary solution when short on cash, said the survey analysis. The survey is a grim portrait of a country struggling to overcome the virus while the economy is dead in the water. It is also a reminder that many do not make enough to cover monthly expenses and sock it away to cover three to six months of expenses without a paycheck. Um, I think it's a sobering reminder of something much more grand than all of those things they just chronicled. And I said it. Um, it, it may be, it may mean that they're overextended and they're overextended because 
they have put value on something uh, or some entity that is costing them a lot of money that may indeed be something that they can live without. Um, the Bible says in Proverbs 30, 25, um, ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. And Proverbs 6, 6 and 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest time. So I think saving is uh, really, really unfortunately a um, kind of a lost thing. That was something when I was again, I'm not, I'm a middle-aged guy. I'm not real old. I'm not real young. And uh, I clearly remember when I was a little kid that, um, you know, save, save, save. That was really preached to me by my uh, parents. And, um, you know, in the realm of Christendom, um, giving the Lord your first 10%, um, you know, may for some be very illogical during these times, but um, the Lord uh, in, in his holy scriptures tells us he will take that 10%. And, um, you know, he challenges us again in Malachi 3.10 to, to try to outgive him. And uh, that is a wise investment by giving the Lord the first of your labor. And um, he will do mighty things with it. So um, I think those those concepts of giving money to the church and saving, and then after those two things have uh, firmly been, been cleared, um, move on to, uh, to some other things, which you, you may or may not you know, want to do. But, you know, you, you pray. Yeah, James 1.5, right? Should I buy this boat, Lord? Should I buy this gym membership instead of buying a treadmill, a couple weights, and throwing them down in the basement? Um, do I need this car? I just cleared my car, my last car payment after five uh, years. Well, why don't you see if that car will last more than five years in one day? And oftentimes, they last six years, seven years, eight years. So, um during times like these, I think it's very important to, uh, to think of things like that. And speaking of, you know, higher things, if you will, um, it, I, it was kind of going through my mind during this whole process. Um, where is God in all this? And, and I know churches are uh, adversely affected by, um, by the COVID-19 thing. We chronicled the church in Florida last week that um, they said, hey, we're... Um, we're meeting. And the local officials said, no, you're not. And uh, again, you know, right now, that's that's some mild tension. But as uh, Attorney General Barr indicated, as this thing goes on, there may be a little bit more than mild tension when um, uh, politicians, agents of the state, if you will, are, are encroaching on people that want to uh, congregate together and worship the Lord. So um, interesting stuff. This um, this article was from Gallup. Um, it was religion and the COVID-19 virus in the United States. And it said, could the virus situation have a long-term impact on personal religiosity? I hate that word, but that's what the article um, is entitled. Um it says, as was the case after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, some observers have hypothesized that the American public will become more religious as they confront the situation and become more cognizant 
of their mortality and life's fragile essence. And then in parentheses, it says there are no atheists in foxholes. Um, again, I, I hope these times make us more reflective and, and uh, think of things a little bit higher than um, many of the things I just chronicled in the last segment. I, I hope that's the case. I, I, I can't speak for God here, but I, I think in any crisis, um, one of the silver linings of just about anything that happens that's bad is it's a time for reflection. It shows us our, our complete and utter 100% um, dependence on our Father up in heaven. So I, I would hope that, um, as was the case post 9-11, that we as a nation became a little bit more reflective. Um, article goes on to say, op-ed contributor Robert Nicholson said in a recent Wall Street Journal opinion piece, could a rogue virus lead to a grand creative movement in America's history? Will Americans, shaken by the reality of a risky universe, rediscover the God who proclaimed himself sovereign over every catastrophe? Um, I don't know. I, I certainly hope so. I, um, I you know, uh, the, the knock is Americans are dumb, fat, and happy. And once they clear one crisis, uh, the bulk of them will kind of get back on the pony and start racking up credit card debt and not going to church and not praying and and um, not taking care of themselves from a health standpoint. Um, but I, I'm hopeful and I pray that a number of them will become reflective, uh, you know, as a result of this COVID-19 crisis. It says about half or more of Americans interestingly say the virus situation has not affected any of these five aspects of their life. And um, those, uh, those include um, their diet, their personal relationships, their mental health, and sadly, um, their faith and spirituality. Um, and exercise was in there as well. Um, and, but it's Americans' mental and physical states of life appear hard to change. But out of the five aspects tested that I just chronicled, the net gotten better versus gotten worse gap is the most positive for the faith or spirituality dimension. That's good news. Overall, 19% of Americans interviewed between March 28th and April 1st said their faith or spirituality has gotten better as a result of the crisis. That's a good thing. While 3% say it has gotten worse, for a net of 16% points. The only other of the five aspects tested that has a net positive is personal relationships, and that's um, understandable since we are all kind of cooped up in the same house. Um, Americans, by contrast, say that their mental health, diet, and exercise have gotten worse <laughs> than um, gotten better. Um, it's interesting. It says uh, the Pew Research recently asked Americans from March 19th to the 24th about their prayer behavior in this situation and found that over half of all Americans, 55%, say they have prayed for an end to the spread of the coronavirus situation. And among some groups, that percentage is significantly higher. And I, I think that would... Um, uh, and the article goes on to say who that is. This includes about 8 in 10 evangelical Protestants and black Protestants and about two-thirds of Catholics, which um, 
those three groups do not surprise me at all that um, their fervent prayers have been at an all-time high and they are petitioning the Most High God to please put an end to this uh, catastrophe. And I would um, I would echo that. So it is interesting. Um, you know, the uh, I, I, I just, I, I hope that we, um, we learn something from this situation. Um, you know, the, there's one church here, I'm, I'm looking at an article, and it's, um, it's about, uh, they're in Arkansas, where the incidence of uh, coronavirus cases and uh, deaths are very, very low. And in this particular church, they're like, um, hey, you know, uh, we are going to congregate. And in that um, area of the world, they can still do that without going afoul of the law. The Department of Health in this uh, particular municipality, Jonesboro, um, Arkansas, has stated that all gatherings of 10 or more do not apply to houses of worship. And yet they suggest to follow the CDC safe practices of which we are doing. The church wrote this particular church um, that um, is claiming Jesus. And they're saying that um, COVID-19 or not, we are um, getting together. We are praying, particularly because it's Holy Week. And that's what we're doing. So interesting yin and yang. Um, the Florida municipality cracked down pretty hard on uh, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown. And here in an area of the world where um, it is certainly nowhere near as populated and the local authorities have not cracked down and said, you cannot do this. Um, I think the uh, pastor of this church has said, we're going to do it. So that's an example of how this thing ebbs and flows um, hinging on where you are in the world. Um, sadly, one of our last stories here today, um, sometimes these, uh, these times bring out the worst in people. And uh, this article says, Judge denies request to release a woman arrested for punching a police officer as essential worker. A woman accused of punching a New York police officer should be released without bail because she's an essential worker her lawyer argued, but the judge did not buy it. Brandy Isom, 25, was arrested Tuesday and faces assault charges after she got involved in a robbery suspect's arrest in the Bronx. Video of the ordeal shows an officer striking um, Isom, but she was allegedly throwing punches of her own before the camel was rolling. And that is always the, the problem with these footages. Um, they uh, oftentimes indict the police, but somebody, uh, if they were rolling the camera a little earlier, would have saw the rest of the story. The judge, um, so the, the lawyer says she's an essential worker. She's never gotten in trouble. And um, claiming the, fo the footage shows the officer hitting her first. The judge presiding over the case decided against the lawyer's essential worker argument, ordering ISOM who delivers medications to sick people to be held on $5,000 bail. When someone goes to interfere with a police officer, that to me makes them a flight risk. The judge said in court, I would think someone in this kind of position would know better than to try to get involved with an officer trying to make an arrest. 
And um, so uh, with that, we will uh, we will end the show today. Some people, um, this uh, this coronavirus thing is is uh, obviously has uh, emotions uh, pretty high, and this lady uh, was was assaulting a police officer, and she uh, she was not afforded any bail because of it. So I think that's a good thing. This is Reshaping America, Kurt Welling. Until next week, just pray and uh, the Lord will see us through this. Good afternoon.